Good afternoon, brethren. It's very good to see you always. When I see all the faces from here with beautiful smiles, it comforts my soul when I have to speak in this foreign language. <laughs> I have to thank Jennifer and Mrs. Ames for that beautiful, soothing music. So much apropos for someone who is nervous before standing here. <laughs> and for the glory of God, my dear brethren, it is really a joy to be here with you. Uh, last week I was in Guatemala and then uh, in Mexico. I say if I go through Mexico, I better stop in Mexico for a Bible study since I cannot be there for the Sabbath. And things are going well in the work of God. In the Spanish work, brethren, I really thank God. For me, it is a miracle, it's a marvelous thing how God is holding together these groups without a pastor, without a minister, scattered all over from Spain to the Patagonia. It is just fantastic. It's the work of Jesus Christ, brethren. He has provided faithful men all the way from Spain to the Patagonia. Men that work, some of them as deacons, but they do a superb job. They are God-fearing people. They love the people. They have gone through many trials. They've been despised and mistreated, and they have survived spiritually. And it's a blessing, brethren. And there is a lot of love among us. It is a beautiful relationship we have. And I thank God for it. And uh, the brethren in Guatemala are doing fine. They have the most steady attendance. And they don't have a pastor there probably once a year. There are 44, and there are 44 every week, almost. It is just fantastic. I challenged the brethren in Mexico. He said, there are less baptized members in Guatemala. They attend more steadily than you. <laughs> when you have a pastor that comes almost every two or three weeks. Anyway, it's just trying to make holy competition, you know. <laughs> anyway, brethren, and uh, I'm planning already the trip for Passover. There are about eight requests for baptism in the southern cone, brethren. Three of them, young people in their early 20s that want to give their lives to Jesus Christ and make a covenant with him and stay faithful to it. I know that. We've been counseling for, through the phone. My mother used to say, no matter how expensive the phone is, it's very inexpensive. <laughs> I can travel to Argentina and have a counseling for baptism in a question of seconds, brethren, which is just fascinating. And uh, there were four requests in Argentina, three of them young people that have been inspired by the example of our hosts there, Mr. and Mrs. Bravo and the brethren. And there are also about four requests in Chile. People, some of them, had come because of the broadcast. So God is giving growth. It's not huge growth according to us, but it might be. Because the changing of a heart, the changing of a life is a powerful, great miracle, brethren. So it is very inspiring to see how God keeps it together. I just watch it, <laughs> and I'm astounded to see He is the one, because He is everywhere. I'm just here and can go here and there from time to time. But He's there all the time because those people fear Him and love Him. So I want to share that with you, brethren. It is very inspiring to see that, how he holds it together. 
Well, the sermon today will be probably a continuation to a theme that we started some time ago, about one year ago, about planting and harvesting. Uh, it has to do with the feasts, because before we know, the Passover will be here. And uh, God says that uh, we cannot... Pres you, we, I explain, I'm not going to stop to explain that. If you remember that sermon, there are three times where every male has to appear before God. And those represent three harvests. I explain it very carefully. If you haven't heard it, you can request, I think it's, it's called planting and harvesting. The Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread are the time of the harvest of the barley. We know that for a fact, because the barley was destroyed in Egypt. It was already, in what month were they? The month of Nisan. And the barley was destroyed by the hail and the fire. But the wheat was not destroyed because it was late. It came after. So the first feast, we have to appear before God, and we're going to see that right here, brethren, and in Leviticus 23. And we will see just to a short review of what this is all about. And this be like a continuation, I'd say, to that subject, which is a, a beautiful subject, as we see, brethren. So on Leviticus 23, you can see on verse 9, let's see that, verse 9 of Leviticus. And the Lord, Leviticus 23 and verse 9, And the Lord is spoken to Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you become into the land which I give to you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, when did they cross the Jordan? We know for a fact, according to the book of Joshua, people crossed the Jordan just before Passover time. And just before, they had to be circumcised because the generation that came into the land had not been circumcised during the 40 years in the desert. And then they were allowed to keep the Passover and days of unleavened bread. So we're talking of the, the first harvest, which represents Jesus Christ, our example. The first one to come out of the ground is the barley. The first one to come out of the ground was Jesus Christ. And we know that the next feast, let's read this here, in um, verse 10 of Leviticus 23, speaking of the children of Israel, say unto them, When you come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest. And we know, I proved it to you, beyond any doubt, is the barley harvest which represents Jesus Christ, that was offered at the same time. It was presented before Christ that he said to Mary Magdalene, Don't touch me. I have not yet go to my father. At the same time, the priest in the temple lifted that omer of barley. Christ was going up to his father. He was fulfilling everything that was written to the minute detail. Like he fulfilled the lamb and he fulfilled so many other things that are absolutely fascinating. So, and you reap the harvest thereof, then shall you bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ is the first fruits, the first one to be resurrected from the dead. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. When? To be accepted for you. On the morning after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it exactly at the time 
when Christ said to Mary Magdalene, I have not yet gone to my father, don't touch me. So he went up and said, Father, mission fulfilled. And then he came down again and he allowed them to touch him, which is a very meaningful thing. If you study it in the book of John, it's very clear. So everything was fulfilled. It's being fulfilled, I would say. Not everything has been fulfilled yet. And you shall offer that day when you have, you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf and a lamb, Christ, without blemish, Christ, of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. Sacrifice pleasant to God, like Christ's life was all the way through. Oh, you see that, brethren? And then God says in, in uh, Exodus, if you look at Exodus 24 and verse 14, let's look at that quickly here. And it says, Exodus 24, let me see, it's 24 or 34. Let me see, I, I have to check my Spanish Bible, brethren, I know it very well, and I know where things are. Let's see, I, Exodus, I think it's 34. Let's look at that. No, it's not Exodus 34. What happened? Ah, it's Exodus 23. I'm sorry, brethren. Exodus 23, yes, here it is. Verse 14, three times you shall keep a feast unto me in the year. We show, first one is the barley, Christ. Second one, the wheat. And I prove that to you. Because the, the first fruits of the, of the day of Pentecost are the wheat harvest. How can we prove that? Let me show it to you right now here. In, in chapter 34 and verse 22. And you have the proof there that the next harvest will be the wheat. Chapter 34 and verse 22. Brethren, it says very clearly here. And you shall observe the feast of weeks, seven weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest. There are different harvests, again. And the feast of ingathering at the end of the year. That means the fruits, the wine, was mainly the summer fruit and the wine at the end of the year. And that represents, of course, another feast, another harvest. And we know that there are many applications to that. But all what I want to read to you now, if we can go again to Exodus and uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 23, and let's, let's see quickly what it says here. Again, chapter 23 of the book of Exodus and verse 14. Three times you shall keep a feast unto me in the year. We proved first her barley, second the wheat, the weeks, the feast of weeks, seven weeks later, the wheat would come later on. That means we will resurrect after Christ. He is the first fruits. We'll be the next first fruits from another harvest. And you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, verse 14. Let's look at the middle of that verse. For in it you came out of Egypt, and none shall, I'm reading the last part of verse 15, none shall appear before me empty. Now, today, I don't think we have, we have very few farmers in the work of God. He's not speaking on bringing a grain to God. And he is not just referring to a certain amount of money. That would be very easy, brethren. If you just come and kind of buy the favor of God with one, two hundred, five hundred, one thousand dollars as an offering, and you say, that's it. We know that behind that, 
Christ, time after time, he spoke of the parable of the sower, the seed that has to bear fruit. He's speaking of spiritual growth. Sure enough, we have to present an offering before God. We do it on every time, every feast that we present ourselves before God. But what God looks is what is behind that offering. What, what type of a heart is behind that offering? What growth? How can I present myself and say, I'm more like Jesus Christ at every single feast? I'm growing. I'm bearing more fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is more evident in my life. We can speak to God and He will acknowledge or not acknowledge it, but we, that's the real thing. We are talking of spiritual growth. Brethren, that's what Christ is interested in, and we will show it very clearly if we have time to present a lot of stuff I have to present here, my dear brethren. And then let's look for the last time uh, at another scripture then. I think that will make it clear enough, but you can clarify that with the other sermon when I mainly stress that fact of the difference of each harvest and how we have to present before God ourselves with growth, not empty-handed, like the parable of the talents. The one who received, received ten talents, he produced ten more. What is he talking about? It's a transformation of our beings to be more like Jesus Christ, that he is the one who lives in us and does the works. And then we grow in him, in grace and knowledge. That's what he wants, is growth, spiritual growth, brethren. In every parable, you see the parable of the sower, it has to do with spiritual growth. And the parable of the talents has to do with spiritual growth. So that's what God expects from us. Some years ago, I gave a sermonette in uh, Florida at the Feast of Tabernacles. And I spoke a little bit on this subject. I had not really gone all the way into this subject, which is there's so much to say that we don't have enough time. But someone from the audience, which I thank him, I hope he's still with us, that's many years ago, 1996, I think, he handed me a list, and it says 15 characteristics of personal maturity. Now, maturity, as you will know, means ripeness. When a, a fruit is ripe, uh, in Spanish there's no confusion because mature is the same thing for a person that has maturity of character and for a fruit that is mature, that is ripe. It's the same word. And we'll see that, that how it works. It is so important, that maturity and that fact of being ripe, that the high priest had the authority to delay for a whole month, the beginning of the year, if the barley was not ripe to be harvested and presented before God. So that barley had to be ripe. It had to be mature to be presented before God. That means that we have to come every time we come to a feast, presenting ourselves more mature, more ripe before God. That's what it is a beautiful message that God's given to us through that. So it is so important then that uh, here I have a, a few characteristics that we can go through. Now, I tell you, first of all, brethren, I do not pretend to have achieved this yet, okay? I know it's what God says, and I presented it to you because I, I say like the Apostle Paul, let's look at Philippians chapter 3, I think. Uh, let's look at that, and uh, I'm not there yet. These are difficult subjects because uh, I know you, you know me, and uh, we know each other here, and 
But we, we, we'll do what Paul says here, brethren. Uh, in the book of Philippians, let me see if I find that scripture. And I want to put that first of all, because I don't consider myself uh, a shining example of all these things. But I think we have to strive for it. In chapter 3 and verse 12 of the book of Philippians. So let's, took it this, let's take it this way. Because we are pressing ahead. In chapter 3 and verse 12 of the book of Philippians, said, Paul says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. I mean, he doesn't think he is already perfect. But I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I was apprehended of Christ Jesus. He called us for a purpose. What purpose? That we be like him. Let the disciple be like his master. That's an amazing thing, that Christ wants us to be like him, a reflection of him. And then let's continue to see in verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, there it is. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So God is working with us towards perfection. Now, we forget what is behind after we have acknowledged it. That's very important. Not just uh, ignore our situation, but we do like God forgives and forgets. But first we have to repent. That means first we have to acknowledge that we are lacking. And then once we put our eyes in Christ, we don't become negative, just concentrate on ourselves. But says, forgive me, I want to be like you, let's keep going. And God will do it and we'll see how he will do it. I hope I don't finish the sermon before I tell you exactly how we can do it. Because I'm going to describe you some points here. There are many that can be said. But this doesn't comprehend the whole thing. But there are some good examples uh, of going back to the very concrete things of our daily life. What is maturity? How we can be sure we are growing and we are transforming our beings in the, in the way that Dr. Meredith always explains to us like he repeats the, the words of Paul, I don't live, but Christ lives in me. It, so I'm going to read this to you. If I can see someone, these are 15 characteristics of personal maturity. That means ripeness. That means that the fruit is ready to be presented. Like I told you, the high priest could delay for a whole month the, the feast of Passover and of leavened bread if that barley was not ripe. Same thing. So we, that means we have to have ripeness. We need to have maturity so we can present ourselves before God. Because if you take an orange, where I live, there are many citrus, uh, citric or citric? What? How do you pronounce that? Thank you. I have a good friend here who corrects me from time to time. And uh, citrus. And I tell you, when you eat one of those and it's not ripe, it doesn't taste good. That means God is expecting us to achieve ripeness, to be mature so our fruits can be used for the good of others and for the glory of God. They have to be ripe at the time 
That's why he sets the feast. So we put that in our minds and say, the Passover is coming. Let's see how can I achieve with the help of God and present myself before him as a ripe fruit that can already be used. Let's keep that in mind. So here he gives the first characteristic of personal maturity. If I can see someone commit an act I consider inappropriate without feeling self-righteous is a sign of maturity. So this is very meaningful. I repeat it. If I can see someone commit an act I consider inappropriate without feeling self-righteous, it's a, it's a sign of maturity. Why it's a sign of maturity, you would ask. So I've been thinking about these points, and uh, it's not that you overlook that the act is inappropriate. No, because the mature person has his senses trained to discern good and evil. You see, it's not that maturity doesn't mean that someone does something wrong and you don't even care. No, that doesn't mean that. It's that I don't feel self-righteous. So let's see how the Apostle Paul explained this to us in the book of Hebrews. And let's look at that for a moment, brethren. In the book of Hebrews, he was writing to a church he, it seems that it was about the year 67, 68, something like that, just before the death of the Apostle Paul. But he was writing to the brethren, the brethren in Judea because they had come too attached to the physical aspects of the worship. And they were kind of forgetting exactly that Christ came to fulfill all of that and were neglecting a little bit the spiritual dimension. And I think you read the book of Hebrews, that's, very much the subject. And it can happen to us, brethren. It's interesting that Christ, when he called the people to work in the vineyard or the father of the family, he gave the same payment to those that had worked 12 hours as to those that had worked for one hour. It seems that the longer we are, the more we tend to kind of cool down and probably become lukewarm. So the time doesn't mean as much as we might think before God. It, it, might, it might mean that we are losing terrain, that we are losing ground. So let's look at chapter 5, and we're looking at the church that first received the Holy Spirit. This has been probably, first Holy Spirit came in year 31, in the day of Pentecost, and this might be 65, 67, 68, I'm not totally sure. But they have been in the church of God over 30 years. And what does Paul tell them? And listen, brethren, it's very interesting that the, the Laodicean church, which is the era in which we are right now, and in Spanish we say, if you walk in the honey, something will stick to you, you know? And, and that's the kind of atmosphere that prevails today in the church of God. It's lukewarmness. We don't really take seriously, with a zeal, the word of God. It is very prevalent today, and we are not careful that thing is going to stick to us. Like Mr. Arthur said, there's so much robbed uh, Protestantism that it has kind of uh, stick to us in a certain way. So, brethren, here is the last year of the church of God, and God calls it blind, and many other things, you know, and wretched, and naked, etc., etc. Now, I think this is a good warning for us. Because we might think, I've been so long in the church, I'm already mature. I've really grown a lot, but if we're not really growing, we are 
decreasing on the other side, sense. Uh, like I said at the beginning, I said this for all of us, including myself. Okay, brethren? I'm not judging you. I'm judging myself. And when you give a sermon, you are the first one to be judged. I know that. So chapter 5 and verse 11 of the book of Hebrews. Let's look at that. Chapter 5 and verse 11. Of whom? Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. It says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. He's talking to a church that was the first one to receive the Holy Spirit over 30 years, probably 35 years. And he's telling them, you are dull of hearing. For when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. And to the message of the Laodicean church, Christ said, repent. And that's the very first foundational thing that we should have done. And Christ is saying it to our time, brethren, repent. You read the message to Laodicea, and that's what it says. Now, God willing, we are keeping the spirit of Philadelphia, but we have to be very watchful. Verse 13, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those by reason who by reason of use have their senses exercised. Listen to this. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good, both good and evil. So that's a sign of maturity. So let's go to the first point again. What Solomon asked God, and he was very pleased, was wisdom to discern between good and evil and to judge his people. That means the maturity a, a king, a ruler needs, because he said, I'm too young, I need to have this discernment to rule the people. And it's the same thing he's saying here. Those that have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So the big difference of someone who is mature and discerns someone doing something inappropriate is that he doesn't see only what the other one is doing, but he also sees himself because we are not blind to our own weaknesses. That's the difference. When someone is immature or we are immature and we start judging someone who has done something inappropriate without looking at ourselves, we are showing that we are blind. We don't see ourselves. And let's look how the Apostle Paul explains that in Galatians chapter, and we see how it fits with the maturity aspect I want to explain to you, brethren. Let's look at the book of Galatians and see how beautifully it is explained there. In chapter 6 of the book of Galatians, chapter 6, let's look at that. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual. What does that mean? You who are mature. Spiritual means someone who has the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, patience, meekness. Someone, and then he, how he's saying that? Look at this. You which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. What does that mean? Meekness is a fruit of the spirit. That means someone who sees someone do something inappropriate and judges him 
and despises him because when we feel self-righteous, he is not doing it in the spirit of meekness. And especially when we are too hard on someone who has done something wrong, we are not doing it in the spirit of meekness. That means meekness is a fruit of the spirit, which means maturity. Considering yourself. So the one who is mature doesn't only look in one direction. He's able to look back and see, listen, he has done something wrong. I don't think it's wrong too. And you know, that's a sign of maturity. Because we have not attained perfection yet. And then he says, in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That means we know we are still flesh. And if I go too hard on someone, maybe God will teach me a lesson. And then that produces the fear of God, and then I don't feel self-righteous when I see someone doing something wrong. That doesn't mean I don't discern what is wrong. I already explained. Those that have their senses exercised in the discernment of good and evil are those that are mature. So we discern the evil, we discern something wrong, but we discern something back here that changes the way we look at things. That is spiritual maturity. And you know that God says in the book of Leviticus, I won't go there because this is the subject for a whole sermon, how do we react when we see someone doing something wrong? Of course, I have to go to the person, but he says here, in the spirit of meekness, lest I be tempted to. That means if I... I proceed in a, in a holy way. God might see that and teach us a lesson. But God says in the book of Leviticus, if you see someone sinning, you talk to the person. And we tend in our immaturity to talk to others, not to the person. If I see someone smoking or drinking too much where he starts losing self-control, uh, I should not be talking to the others. I should, in the spirit of meekness, go to that person and tell him, listen, my friend, I, I also have weaknesses, you know that. Uh, but uh, if I don't tell you about this, then I don't love you, and then I will be partaker of your sin. Because it's written in the law of God, Leviticus 19. I won't go there, but you can look for it. It says, I don't think the English is as clear, but in Spanish it's very clear. If you see do, someone doing something wrong, first of all, the Bible says, don't tell everybody which is the opposite of what we tend to do when we don't have maturity. But then he says, go to the person and talk to her or to him, because if you don't do it, then you are partaker of the sin. But then he says here, do it in the spirit of meekness. That means in a mature way. So we have the two things, discernment and maturity. That means that is a beautiful way that the Bible explains to us how we should proceed and then speak to the person in the spirit of meekness, but not ignore the, the situation and not talk to everybody else. Just go to the person in love and in meekness. That is how we should proceed. And then that's what the Bible teaches us. I'm showing it to you. If I can see someone commit an act I consider inappropriate without feeling self-righteous is a sign of maturity. I think now we have a more clear understanding of how that really means that is a sign of maturity because, because we have objective concept of ourselves. We can see ourselves just like we are. That's real conversion. That's what Mr. Armstrong explained, and that's what I've been explaining to the brethren that are requesting baptism. To read the chapter, probably we should reread it before Passover. In the incredible human potential, there is a chapter of what is true conversion by Herbert W. Armstrong. It's a, just a wonderful article or chapter in that book 
that explains exactly how we don't repent only of what we have done. We have to repent of what we are, like the book of Job teaches us. Well, Mr. Armstrong had a profound understanding of that concept. And it would be very good, I think, to review that. And I have asked everyone that is requesting baptism to go through that chapter in that book. What is true conversion? Now, another sign of spiritual maturity is, if I can listen to someone present a point of view opposed to mind without feeling smug, I don't know exactly what smug is, but uh, I think it's without probably losing control or without reacting, it says it's a, it's a sign of maturity. I repeat, if I can listen to someone present a point of view opposed to mine without feeling smug, it's a sign of maturity. You know, I have a practice of this almost every day with my little boy. He's 11 years old, but he is very sharp, and he can show me things or present uh, about a game. I, I try a dialogue with him, and I really want to teach him that that game might not be good. But then I, he has a point to explain. He said, Papa, you don't let me speak. And I said, you're right. Yo, speak. I'm going to shut my mouth for a while and listen to you. Uh, God gives us a, a proverb that I remember. But you know what does that mean? We're speaking of maturity. We are seeing that that maturity represents that the fruits of the Spirit are ripe. Ripe in a way that can be used. Because they are not ripe yet, they cannot be used yet because they, taste, they, don't, they don't taste good. I mean, they don't fulfill the purpose. So, when I sit and listen to someone present me a point of view that is opposite to mine, and I don't lose my self-control, that means self-control is spiritual maturity. I'm using a fruit of the Spirit which is called self-control. And it's very interesting that if you don't use the self-control, you are lacking, it's the number nine of the fruits of the Spirit, but you are lacking the first one. Because if you look at the first one, is love, and it sounds very beautiful, but if you look a little bit high with a magnifying glass, what love is, and you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the very first condition of love is patience. That means if I'm not patient, I don't have love. If I don't have long-suffering, I don't have love. That means I don't have the first fruit of the Spirit, and at the same time, I don't have self-control. They, they are all connected. So that is something that teaches us spiritual maturity, brethren. Also, James says that the hardest thing to control is the tongue. And let's look at a proverb here that can be very useful for us. Let me see. I'm going to find that proverb here. I think some of you already probably know what I'm talking about, but it says here in chapter 18 and verse 13 of the book of Proverbs. Chapter 18 and verse 13 of the book of Proverbs. So we are going today, last time we explained about the harvests, now we are going very concrete steps that can guide us towards personal maturity, brethren. So chapter 18 and verse 13 of the book of Proverbs, we read, and it says here, he that answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame unto him. And if it is my little boy, I have to confess, it is folly and shame unto me. I'm not setting a good example when the time for him to speak, and I don't let him speak, and uh, he, he's opposite to my point of view, I should... I'm learning, brethren. We're all on the same, you know, path. And uh, it's very interesting. I need to listen and see what he's saying so we can achieve an intelligent conclusion. 
So I won't stay too long on that one. If we just keep that one in mind, brethren. So again, we show that that has to do with maturity because it has to do with one of the fruit of the Spirit that has to be ripe enough to be used called self-control. So it has to do with maturity, and it has to do with us being more like our Master, Jesus Christ. Here I have another one. It says, number three, if I can help someone in need without thinking what a good person I am, it's a sign of maturity. And uh, why is that, brethren? Again, what's the goal? What did Christ say? I don't do the works. He's our supreme example. It is the Father in me who does the works. The one who is achieving maturity is more like Jesus Christ. He knows that every good thing that we do is God through us who does that thing, that good work. Christ said, all the works I do is the Father in me who does those works. All the words I speak is the Father in me who speaks those words. He is our example. That means that when we are reaching that point and we are being more like our master, when we do a good deed, we acknowledge it's not really us. Because if it's really, if we're taking it, our credit for us, God says, you get your reward. You know, we start advertising it here and there. And uh, if that's the principle, and Christ gave it to us in the Sermon of the Mount, and I think you remember this, but let's look at it. Sometimes very important to review these things and see how they can apply and in our life. In chapter 6 of the book of Matthew, chapter 6, of the book of Matthew. Let's look at that. And it says, we are very familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, but let's remember this. Take heed, and this is for us, his disciples. He's teaching us how to be like him. Take heed that you do not, you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you doze your alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, verily, I say unto you, they already have the reward. You know, it's very small reward. People say, oh yeah, he's a nice man. But at the same time, we know that the person is not really growing. And then he says, But when you do alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand does. That means we don't think how good I am. We just let God do it through us, and we forget about it. We don't keep account of our good deeds, but we keep account of how much God is living in us, or Christ. That your alms may be in secret, and your Father which is which is which sees in secret himself, shall reward you openly. And we know people that are generous, they are rewarded openly. He says, give, and it will be given unto you. But we should give in secret so that God may reward us, so we can give more, and it becomes just a wonderful thing. There is another sign, another point here. Number four, if I can listen to other people's problems with empathy and understanding and then keep my mouth shut, is a sign of maturity. Again, self-control, brethren, is how to control our tongue. And uh, 
it's very interesting to know that when you publish a matter that has been given to you in confidence, we are destroying a friendship. In chapter, let's see that someone is telling us a problem, a poor mistake they did in chapter 17 and verse 9 of the book of Proverbs. Chapter 17 and verse 9 of the book of Proverbs, it says, um, He that covers a transgression seeks love, but he that repeats a matter separates very friends. Again, we are saying, we explained the first point, is not that you cover it and you ignore. If we have maturity, we have discernment, and we know when something is sin. And we can say when something is sin, but when we go to the person and it stays between us and the person sees we do it with love, he will be motivated to, to change and says, he that covers a transgression seeks love, but he that repeats a matter separates very friends. So we are not, uh, we avoid gossip. We have another proverb here, very useful for this for this uh, case, let's look at it uh, in the book of Proverbs too. Let me see if I find it. In chapter 11 and verse 13 of the book of Proverbs, there are many practical advice given to us here. Chapter 11 and verse 13 of the book of Proverbs, it says, it says, he, a talebearer reveals secrets but he that is of a faithful spirit conceals the matter. So again, self-control. To know how to keep a secret, how to keep a confidence is a sign of spiritual maturity. It's a sign of self-control and respect to someone's confidence in us. Let's look at another point here. If I can see a project I created taken over by someone else without feeling bitter, it's a sign of maturity. I repeat, if I can see a project created, or I created taken over by someone else without feeling bitter is a sign of maturity. We have a beautiful example of this, although he did not start this thing, but God started it through him. Let's look at two very inspiring examples that should shine our minds as what spiritual maturity should be. A man who was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Let's look at that. In chapter 3 and verse 23 of the book of Deuteronomy, let's look at the example of Moses, who was mature in the spirit. There was, he was the meekest man on the face of the earth, according to the word of God. Chapter 3 and verse 23. God started the great... Odyssey, we can call it a way, or it's a pagan name, but the great thing of taking these people out of the land of Egypt and bringing them into the land, onto the promised land. And let's look what happened here in chapter 3 and verse 23 of the book of Deuteronomy. We have a shining example of this, which we should remember. Uh, and I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your, and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to your works and according to your might. I pray you, let me go over 
and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain and Lebanon. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes, and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, Let it suffice thee. Speak no more unto me of this matter. We see the intimate relationship they had, which is a marvelous thing to see how they dial the dialogue they had face to face. Although Moses didn't see the glory of God, but he had this beautiful relationship with God. Get you up into the top of the Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and behold it with your eyes for you shall not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him for he shall go over before these people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you shall see. So if you look for a sign of bitterness in Moses, you won't find it. Because God says Moses was faithful in all his house. So he kept his attitude very clean. We see a beautiful example also of this in the book of John. According to John, the book of John, of the attitude of John the Baptist, God started the preaching of repentance through him. But we see the attitude in chapter 3, verse 27. In chapter 3 and verse 27 of the book of John, we see the same attitude of humility and being willing to follow what God had planned. And he, did not want to wa- he didn't want to take what was not given to him. In verse 27 of chapter 3 of the book of John, he says, Let's see uh, verse 26. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with you beyond Jordan, to whom you bearest witness, behold, the same baptized, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except is given to him from heaven. So if God allows us to go to a trial where we are taking a responsibility that was given to us and given to someone else, We probably should acknowledge this if we know that we are walking with God in our lives. You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom which stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. So... The humility of John is evident here, and God says of him, there was no man born of a woman that will be greater than John the Baptist. He that humbles himself will be exalted. So he understood his function, and he let Christ continue, like Moses encouraged Joshua, although it's not exactly the same case, but he did not get bitter. So we have the example of Saul and David. Samuel, when David... When, uh, when Saul went ahead and offered a sacrifice that he was not allowed to offer, Samuel said, God has, cho- has found another man according to his own heart. And he will take the kingdom. And we know the attitude. Saul could have written a very different page in history if he had been like Moses or like John the Baptist, if he had acknowledged that he made a mistake and had just complied to the will of God. The history would have been completely different. 
but we know that he tried to kill David several times, many times. All oh, the first book of Samuel, the, from the, big, from the half, half of that book, is practically the persecution that Saul uh, started after David because he didn't want to accept this. That reveals a lack of personal maturity. That's what he was taking away from the throne, and that's what God is watching in us to see if we are qualified to rule the world, if we have a righteousness that is above that of the Pharisees, which was, was just outwards. So that's another sign of maturity. Let's, le let's look at this one. Number six, if I can see another person selected for a position I am better qualified to fulfill without feeling hurt is a sign of maturity. I repeat, if I can see another person selected for a position I am better qualified to fill without feeling hurt is a sign of maturity. That means we walk by faith. We know who is in charge and we are willing to accept the will of God, and we know that our life is in His hands. Maybe what we need, what God is looking, is the character we have. Because people can be very gifted and very highly qualified for a function, but if they don't have the character that it takes to fulfill that function, it will become a destructive thing, self-destructive, and it will hurt many people. So probably what God is doing when He allows even in the church, or even in the world, if our life is in his hands, someone that is not as qualified as we probably are, it could be true, to fulfill a, a job and we don't feel hurt is a sign of maturity. It's probably exactly what God wants to see. If there is character behind the ability. Because ability without character, I say again, is destructive. So God wants first to see the quality of character before he blesses us or gives us power. So that's how God knows if he can bless us or not. So it's a very important point. If I can see a person selected for a position I'm better qualified to fill without feeling hurt, it's a sign of maturity. That means in the eyes of God that that person really is qualified, but he has to test us first. Because God tests us, and nobody will be without being tested. So that, that might be exactly what God wants to know. If we are really qualified by character and not only by ability or by a certain gift. Because we know in the history uh, of Satan the devil, when he was Lucifer, he was highly qualified. But he did not have the character needed to fulfill the function and to back up the gifts and the power that God had given him. So he was disqualified. So we, look, we should look at it that way, brethren. And then we'll see that God is working with us. It's a question of faith. When we get hurt, I think it's a lack of faith too. We walk by faith, not by sight. Even if things seem to be that way, brethren, and I can tell you, although I know I'm worth I am like the dust of the earth, but for many years I worked in the Spanish department and God allowed me to be in a certain way more qualified than others that were over me because they, they didn't have Spanish as their mother language, you know. But if, if we, that was a good lesson for me to learn. It says, God wants it that way. What does God want? 
He wants a quality magazine to get out. It's not that important as I am the one who carries the title of the editor or not. Uh, so I, I tell you, we, uh, we have to learn. I'm still learning. But that was a, good, a very good experience. And I think we all have gone through this in life. And we should look at it that way. Number seven, if I can listen to someone criticize me, even unkindly, I learn from it without resentment. It's a sign of maturity. And I tell you, the most inspiring example for this to me is Dr. Roderick C. Meredith, because I don't think I've known someone has been slandered more and said all kinds of things about him. And one day I asked him, Dr. Meredith, how do you do when, when they publish all this stuff? He says, oh, Mario, it's just a comedy. He said, just wait until the Spanish department grows and you will see how it goes. So I don't lose my sleep over it, you know. He knows he is obeying God. He knows, and there is something we celebrated, you know, a few weeks ago, is steadfastness. That's the most important thing. It's not all the brightness of the gifts of the abilities. So he has them. He doesn't think, you know, sometimes he talks himself down a little bit, but he has the abilities in a, in a wonderful way to do the job that God has given to him. But I remember uh, even talking about TV once. We were sitting in a restaurant and I said, you know, but they are saying this about, the, about you. I said, but what do they say? I want to learn from my critics, even if they don't do it in the best way. So I think that, for me, that's an inspiring example, that we, if I can listen to someone criticize me, even unkindly, and learn from it without resentment, is a sign of maturity. And I, I have a shining example there. And I think the way we take correction also, even if it's not in the best way, like we saw at the beginning, with all maturity, that someone has the fruit of meekness and come to us and say, listen, I have something to tell you, but I have my problems too, but if they don't come that way, but, you know, and sometimes I have to repent of that myself to be probably too hard on someone. So if they come very hard on us, and so are we going to, ac are we going to refuse to accept because it was not done in the most, uh, I mean, the holiest way? Or are we going to learn if it's true, even if it was presented in a way that we didn't like it? So that makes the difference between a mature person and a person that is not mature. That, he says, listen, that hurt, after all, is true. So that's the way, and sometimes correction comes, I tell you, it doesn't come in the meekest way to us. We know that, and sometimes we don't give it in the meekest ways either. But I would say, let's take the subject of correction and to see if that's a sign of maturity or not. And we have a lot of material in the book of Proverbs, chapter 9 and verse 8 of the book of Proverbs, and we are going to see that if we don't take corrections, because we are proud, and we are proud, we lack the most important element to achieve maturity, which is humility, because only in the humble one Christ comes to dwell, because he abhors pride. So in chapter 9 and verse 8 of the book of Proverbs, we read, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hates you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Uh, here he doesn't say how. He says just rebuke it, and if it's wise, he will love you. So that makes a big difference between maturity and lack of maturity. It's how we take correction. So let's look. Again, again, brethren, I told you at the beginning, I don't pretend to have achieved this yet. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just showing you and showing myself what the Word of God says. 
Let's look at this uh, other proverb here in chapter 12 and verse 1 of the book of Proverbs. And we have a lot of admonition concerning this. And how we react will show us if we are mature or not. It says there, he who loves instruction, chapter 12 of the book of Proverbs, loves knowledge. But he that hates reproof is brutish. In, in, in French it says stupid. Excuse me for the word, but that's what they translated into the Louis Segon uh, translation of the Bible. It says, uh, he, that, uh, he who loves instruction loves knowledge. Exactly this response to the one we just read. Correct the wise, he will love you. So he as he who loves instruction loves knowledge, but he that hates reproof is brutish. That means is unintelligent. We don't have much discernment. Let's look at another one, chapter 13 and verse 10. There are many of them here, and this is the way we can evaluate ourselves. Chapter 13 and verse 10 of the book of Proverbs, it says, Only by pride comes contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Okay, that's one. And then another one is from chapter 13 and verse 18. Let's look at that one. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuses instruction. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuses instruction. But he that regards reproof shall be honored. Maybe at that time we are humbled, but when we take reproof, it's a, it might be a humbling and humiliating thing, but it says, it says that in the end it would be exalted. Now, there is one that is very strong. There are many of them, if you have marked them in the book of Proverbs. But there is one that makes me tremble here uh, in chapter 29 of the book of Proverbs. Let's look at this. So it teaches us the, the fear of God and how we should know if we are growing or not. Chapter 29. He that being often reproved hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. So that's the big one. He that being often reproved hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Sounds like the unpardonable sin, my dear brethren. So again, how do we know if we are growing is how do we react to these situations. Let's look at number eight here. If I can control anger and settle differences without violence and destruction is a sign of maturity. Again, is self-control. If I can control anger and settle difference without violence and destruction is a sign of maturity. And again, the book of Proverbs is one of the best manuals we have for instruction on these matters. Let's look for a moment at Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 16. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 16, it says, A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covers shame. So let's look at another one here concerning the way we react. It says, if I can control, again, it's a question of self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, and settle differences without violence and destruction is a sign of maturity. Let's look at this, 14... 17 of the book of Proverbs. Chapter 14, verse 17. He that is soon angry deals foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. And uh, let's look at another one here on chapter 16 and verse 32. 
chapter 16 and verse 32. It says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rules his spirit than he that takes a city. I think that's very, very uh, vivid description. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rules his spirit than he that takes a city. Again, maturity, fruits of the spirit, self-control. Let's look at another one in chapter 17 and verse 14. Just a few, because there are many that instruct us in this way. The beginning of a strife is as when one lets out water. Therefore, leave off contention before it be meddled with. So have self-control, we are offended, and being able to stop it before it really starts heated up. And then he that opens too much his door, it says, you know, seeks destruction. So there are many, many examples for us on how we can know if we are really being like Jesus Christ. Number nine, if I, if I can be patient and forego immediate gain to achieve a long-term goal, it's a sign of maturity. If I can be patient, so we are speaking of what? Another fruit of the Spirit, again. So if we are patient and we can apply this to our daily lives, if I can be patient and forego immediate gain to achieve a long-term goal, it's a sign of maturity. I think one of the most eloquent examples we can use of these brethren in our days is sexuality. I'm astounded. I don't see many movies, I tell you that. But sometimes in the airplanes, you know, I fly, they show movies. I don't see, I just look at them to see how the world is going and try to read my Bible. Because there are things that I don't want to be taking part of. But I was talking to some of the girls here the other day. It is amazing how much sex outside of marriage is, is pushed by the media. It is just astonishing. Most of the movies, probably they show a beautiful romance, but usually they have sexual relations outside marriage. And uh, it is over and over. Let's look at that point in specific point. I, we could make a, a very profound study on the subject, but I will mention that. What is God doing? If you look at the law of God, brethren, and we are already considered virgins before God, that means if our past life was in a certain way, God considers us virgins now, what? To marry Jesus Christ. That means we have to be faithful in what is little, so we can be rewarded with what is great. How do we show that to Jesus Christ? In the book of Luke, let's look at that for a moment, Christ gives this profound statement. Let me look at it, if I find it here. In the book of Luke, it says, in chapter 16, let's look at chapter 16 and verse 10 to see how important this is for God. Chapter 16 and verse 10 of the book of Luke. It says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. So God is judging us right now by our behavior. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in which is much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Now, 
Let's not look at our past life because we are supposed to have repented and changed. But if you read the law of God in the book of Deuteronomy, I won't go there, or maybe we can go, brethren, but you can do that study. There is no room for sexual activity outside marriage. For men, nor for women. Because I remember in our society and many other societies, when men reach the age of 18, and I'm going to be blunt with you because, you know, God is not a Puritan. He speaks very plainly in the Bible about many subjects. But many of the young guys were said by, by their parents, by their father sometimes, or uncles, we have to give money to this guy to go to the brothel so he learns to be a man. Otherwise, he's going to turn into a homosexual. You know, that's part of the culture. And even in when I didn't think it was that way, it was that way. So it's kind of promoted, mainly in men. Although now, you know that, my brethren, I have talked to many people, and girls, when they reach the age of 16, if they are still virgins, it's kind of a shame. And for men, if they have not been around with so many girls, they are not real men. So they are calling right what is wrong and calling wrong what is right. It's kind of a shame to be faithful to God and how he, he, he wanted things to be. If, if you look at it, in the book of, of 2 Corinthians in chapter 11, let's look at the spiritual part of it, brethren, and let's make a parallel to see how important this matter is to God. It's not a light thing because today society has insisted and has bombarded us with so much lack of self-control and just immediate reward instead of keeping themselves and building their character, learning to be faithful in what is little, so they are prepared for a long-lasting marriage relationship. If they are not faithful, if we are not faithful in what is little, and we are not able to stay, let's say, now spiritually virgin to marry Jesus Christ, and we fool around, brethren, how is God says, if you are not faithful in what is little, you won't be faithful in what is much. We won't enter the kingdom of God. Christ is not going to allow fornication in his wife or adultery. If we are not practicing that now, brethren, by restraint with the, in building the character of God for a great reward and being married to Jesus Christ, we are showing that we don't have the character that it takes to enter the kingdom of God. So at the same time, if you read the law of God, men, if you go by Deuteronomy chapter 22, should go virgin to their marriage. And women too. If for some reason God put a seal in girls, the seal of virginity, and he has put that seal in us now, let's put it, let's read it clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Would to God, chapter 11 verse 1 of 2 Corinthians, you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. It's interesting that the 144,000, it says that they are virgins. That means they did not, I mean they were faithful. So even today, if the knowledge we have, brethren, if we don't apply that today, and, and young men, and young girls, and even all men, <laughs> I mean, all of us, we are not faithful to this commandment that sex, God made it for marriage. And God is not a Puritan, brethren. If you read the, the Song of Songs, it's just a beautiful description of the love of a husband and a wife. Very romantic, very plain sometimes. And the Puritans, I think they didn't read that. They felt it was too risky, you know. 
But God, you know, once you are doing it how God commands it to be, oh, let, let's, put it, let's put it to work. I mean, he's there, he's giving you a beautiful uh, description of how love, romantic love and sex life should be between husband and wife. Some of the descriptions are very graphic. If you can read it there, brethren, you should not be offended. God was the one who invented it. It's his own design. He was the one who, but he create, created it to be done within marriage. And uh, no wonder today, brethren, frankly, when you look around and you see how the world is, it's no wonder there is so much divorce. Because people don't learn to be faithful in what is little. If you have 10 or 20 lovers uh, before you get married, what sense of faithfulness can be left in the character of a person, brethren? There is no sense of faithfulness left. So they get married, they divorce, marry someone else. Or there is a movie I heard yesterday in, the, in this hour, Fresh Air. It's called About a Boy. They call it a great success. It's a man that finds a way to seduce women that are separated or divorced. And he tells them that he has a boy. So he's lying and he's committing adultery. The two sins and it's published as a great success today. I heard it yesterday in the program, Fresh Air, as I was going to lunch, coming from lunch. So that's what is exalted today, through the radio, through the movies. Don't wait, just enjoy it right away. No wonder our society is being destroyed. And there is no sense of faithfulness. There is no character built to be faithful to a person. That does, if it's not there in the physical life, now we can wonder how can it be in the spiritual life. And for us, it's much more strong because God says even in your mind, you can be unfaithful to me. That's what Christ was saying. If we, if we covet, if we are addicted to pornography and things like that, we are coveting and committing fornication even in our minds. We are not being faithful to our husband. Brethren, we are not being faithful to what is little. How can he make the church and us his wife if we are not being faithful like a chaste virgin like Paul says? So that is one, for me, it's one of the most amazing things today is how they promote this, and you can see the fruits. There is no sense of faithfulness. There is no sense of loyalty, which uh, is a sad thing. But I, can re I repeat this. If I can be patient and forego immediate gain or immediate pleasure to achieve a long-term goal, I am, it's a sign of maturity. We live by faith. What is our long-term goal? It's to be married to Jesus Christ. If we can use self-control now and be faithful to him in spirit and in body, we will be prepared for a long-term goal, for eternity. So those things are intimately related. We have to be faithful to Christ today because we are married to him if we stay within his laws and the covenant that he made with us. is a marriage covenant. And it says, you shall not commit adultery, and fornication is already included there too. Even in the mind, even in the heart. If we are not being faithful, if what is little, how can we, will, how could he consider us his wife, brethren? One again, once again. So this is one of the things that I think build faithfulness. When a young man and a young girl are able to stay chaste, until they get married. They are building a solid foundation of faithfulness to each other and to God. And God will bless that. But today, the first thing they do is to destroy that. And it's, I mean, it's a bombardment, a continual. It's astonishing to me to see how that thing is, is promoted 
over and over in the schools, by the radio, by the movies, by TV. And it's so easy. I mean, you go to a, to a movie store, and you can see, I don't think it's, it's within the reach of your hand to see all these movies that would promote this type of thing that destroy character, destroy the character of the future bride of Jesus Christ if we are not careful. So again, brethren, that's a sign of maturity. If we can be patient and forego immediate gain to achieve a long-term goal, it's a sign of maturity. That means we have vision. We can withstand the world like Moses who stood as seeing the invisible one. That's how he stood. So Christ has to be so much ingrained in our own beings that we have this respect and fear of him when we walk around in today's world, brethren. If I can preserve, if, if, verse 10, if I can persevere to complete a worthwhile project despite discouragement or opposition is a sign of maturity. If I can persevere to complete a worthwhile project despite discourage, discouragement or opposition is a sign of maturity. We know that's our life. We are against the world, brethren. The world is against us. And there are many trials that we have to go through. And so far, God has allowed us to be here in the living church of God after many trials, but we have not finished yet. And I think the most inspiring example, of course, you know it very well, is by the Apostle Paul. All the things that, she, that, he, that he went through in chapter 12 uh, is a source of inspiration for many of the Second Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, verse 5. It says, I, Of such one I will glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in, but in my infirmities. So it's like, that's a sign of maturity. When we do something good, we know it came from God. When we do something wrong, we know it came from us. So we should have that discernment very clear in our minds. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear lest any man should think of me above. Uh, I don't know if this is the chapter where he describes all the things he, worked, he went through. Uh, but you know that. He went through prisons. He was, he was beaten so many times. He, went through, he sank in the ocean. And he continued until the end. He wrote to Timothy and says, I have, I have finished the race. And he kept faithful in spite of, he persevered, a worthwhile project despite discouragement or opposition is a sign of maturity. That's our life as Christians, brethren, as saints. It's interesting that you look at the book, uh, the word Christian. It, it appears in the Bible only two or three times, which today has been misused, very misused. Christianity is not Christianity. Christian is the one who follows Christ. But the word that you use, that is used the most to refer to the members of the Church of God is the saints. The saints are those that keep the commandments of God. Revelation 14, 12. And have the faith of Jesus Christ. Let's look at another, another point here, brethren. If I can say I was wrong, and I am sorry when in error, and a voice saying, I told you so when right, it's a sign of maturity. If I can say I was wrong, let's, and, I, and I am sorry when in error, I think that's, Mr. Armstrong used to say, 
the most difficult thing for a man is to say, I'm wrong. When you look at the envoys and all the executive meetings and the, all the, I, I, it was solemn. I mean, God blessed Ambassador College with, and, and the work that was done through Mr. Armstrong with a lot of majesty, I would say. But many of those men that appear there are gone. And Mr. Armstrong, in his own experience, said the most difficult thing to say to a man is, I was wrong. And uh, again, David, when he was described the situation by the prophet Nathan, of this man who used the little lamb of his neighbor and, uh, and, and prepared for his, for his friend instead of taking from his many flocks. And that was a very dramatic presentation. And, and David was angry. He said that man has to pay four times. And he paid four times. David paid four times with his daughter Tamara, with his son Absalom, with his son Amon, Amon and, uh, and with the first boy that he had. He was four. He paid four times. But he said, I sinned against God. He didn't try to justify himself. So it, it makes a big difference, brethren, to say, I am wrong. It's a sign of maturity. It's to see ourselves like we are and not try to disguise it. That's a sign of maturity. It's a clarity of vision towards our own selves. If I can say I was wrong and I am sorry when in error is a sign of maturity. So in our daily life, brethren, again, sometimes with my little boy, I sometimes have to acknowledge I was wrong. It's not easy because... You know, he's 11 years old, and how you, can you acknowledge if you were wrong? We, we tend to kind of disguise the situation, but I think if we are honest, in the end, it's not a humiliation, but we'll be exalted for it. That's when someone is able to say I was wrong. So David is presented, one of the main characteristics of David until today, in spite of the sin he committed, was a horrible sin and an example for us, so we... We cannot be too hard on him either because we're still flesh. He already overcame. He already, he's going to be in the kingdom of God. We haven't finished yet. So sometimes uh, I, I, preachers are too hard on these men of the Bible. And I say, boy, we better be careful because they are already going to be in the kingdom of God. We are not there yet. So we have to use the first point that uh, we saw here. Uh, so if, we, if I can say I was wrong, and I am sorry when an error is a sign of maturity. If I can endure stress, disappointment, and unpleasantness without losing optimism is a sign of maturity. I mean, we can read the chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, and we have shining examples of people that endure stress, disappointment, unpleasantness without losing optimism. They kept their eyes in the holy city. They kept the eyes in what could not be seen with our physical eye. That's our calling, brethren. That's what makes a sign of maturity. That means those that endure until the end are the ones that are mature. That's exactly what it is. Those that endure until the end, that's a sign of maturity for God. And we stay the course. And we had beautiful examples in our leadership. And I'm very thankful to God for that example of someone who has stayed the course in a beautiful way, in a marvelous way. If I can take time to learn the facts rather than judge by appearances is a sign of maturity. We are preparing to be kings and judges in the tomorrow's world. We should not jump to conclusions when someone brings to us a matter. 
We should know what the law says. Inquire diligently. That's another study we could do. In the book of uh, Deuteronomy, God says to the judges, you inquire diligently and you listen. Listen. Listen among your brethren. That was the first thing that was said to the judges. The chiefs of ten, of fifties, hundreds, and thousands. You listen among your brethren. And it says, if you hear that this happens, it says, you shall inquire diligently. That means do not jump to conclusions. And then the Bible also says, and in the New Testament it is repeated several times, do not take an accusation unless it's by two or three witnesses. And sometimes when things don't concern us, I think we should say, listen, that's not my business. Don't bring that matter to me. Sometimes we shouldn't be eager to find out all the details of someone else's mistakes if it's not our business. I think that's also a sign of maturity because that curiosity I don't think is sound. And we, we should sometimes say, oh, someone did so and so. And sometimes we hear of ministers that make grievous mistakes, but we shouldn't be inquiring all the details. We say, well, he did wrong. I, I might do something wrong too. And uh, anyway, that's a sign of maturity too. But also, if it's a thing that concerns us, and then we should remember there should be two or three witnesses. And that principle is used in First Timothy. It says, don't take an accusation against an elder unless it's by two or three witnesses. We are preparing to be judges and rulers in tomorrow's world, and we better learn now and not jump to conclusions that show that we don't have the wisdom, self-control, and patience to to find out a matter. If I, can take, if I can take time to learn the facts rather than judge by appearances, it's a sign of maturity. That's one of the main characteristics of Jesus Christ. You read of it in the book of Isaiah chapter 11, how he will judge not by appearance, which is a problem that sometimes we have brethren. We have to learn from him. If I can be accused falsely without feeling hatred, it's a sign of maturity. If I can accuse falsely without feeling hatred is a sign of maturity. Again, a person that knows what he knows and does what he does by conviction, he's not afraid of what they might say of him. We know we are walking by the hand of God, and whatever people say, well, they say we understand they are weak, like I might be weak in other areas, and not, don't feel hatred. And uh, I, again, I see a great example in our leadership concerning this, he, he was accused falsely, and I, being a witness, very close witness of all the false accusations, he didn't feel hatred at all. He's always ready to accept whoever wants to come back with open arms, and we should be the same, willing to forgive, even if we were accused falsely. That's a sign of maturity. Jesus Christ was accused falsely, and he prayed for those that were crucifying him. If he is living in us, we should be like him. Brethren, this is uh, 14 points. Uh, I think, if we think of them, they can be very useful, brethren. So the Passover is coming. That will help us to see we are growing, and we are fruits that can be... Now, how this can be done? I think there is one thing I forgot, and I tell you, how can this be done? The only... Uh, do I still have three or four minutes, Mr. Rosignolo? I don't want to finish this, brethren, without telling you this. Because we have heard of what it takes or all what is necessary. But how can we achieve that is the question. I think the answer is in Psalm 51. Let's look at it quickly, brethren. Psalm 51, 
And I think it's a very important thing to keep in mind because we might say, oh yeah, that's, that's spiritual maturity. Okay, but how can we achieve it? Can we produce it ourselves? Let's look up Psalm 51 quickly, brethren. And this is the conclusion I wanted. I don't want to leave without leaving this with you. On chapter 51 of the book of Proverbs, it says here uh, in verse 10, and I think this is the answer, create in me a clean heart. That means God has to create that in us. We cannot produce it by ourselves. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That means God is the only one that can produce maturity in us. Now, how does he do it? How does the sun bring maturity to the fruits, brethren? They need water. The trees need water. You know, where I live, there are a lot of sprinklers. They need water. Christ spoke of his word like spirit, and the spirit like living waters. If we do not water our spirit with the word of God daily, brethren, and the spirit and, and the Israelis, the Israelis have found out when you do the dripping, the dripping sprinkler are the ones that produce the most. You don't waste the water, but they produce the most fruit because they are continual, a continual thing. If when you read Psalm number one, the righteous meditates in the law of God day and night. It's a continual thing. Like Mr. Bryce said, walk with God day in and day out, was the expression he used. Only if we are connected to him, we can mature. Now, how can that be explained? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we have a beautiful... If the, the, we can look at the face of God, like we mentioned in another sermon, in the spirit, and it's the only way we are going to grow. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, this is the only way we are going to achieve growth, brethren. Here it is. God is the only one that can do it in us. In chapter 3, 2 Corinthians verse 18, But we all, with open face, beholding us in a glass the glory of the Lord. How is the glory of God? His face shines like the sun. If there is not sunshine over, over all those fruit, fruit trees where I live, they will never achieve maturity, those fruits. They will never be ripe. They need the sunshine and they need the sprinklers. And they need, of course, fertilizer too. But let's look at these two points. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. That means we in the Spirit can look at the face of God, but we have to get close to Him. Are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Like I said to you, we are to become like our Master. If we don't get up early in the morning, we're going to see how this is down to business. Very concrete. If we don't get up early in the morning and seek the face of God day in and day out, we will not grow. Here he says, beholding the face of God. Psalm 84 says they will go from strength to strength. He says we will be changed from glory to glory. If we don't have contact with the word of God and with the face of God day in, and day out, we will not mature. We will not get ripe. And that's what David say, create in me a clean heart and renew a spirit within me. God is the only one who can do it. But we have to be close to him. 
There's another one I would like to read, but you can read it. It's chapter 15 of the book of John. It says, without me, you can do nothing. If you don't stay with me, you will not produce fruit. If we don't produce fruit, we will be burnt in the lake of fire, brethren. So let's keep this in mind, brethren. Like I said again, I'm the one that has to learn the most, but this is what God puts before our eyes. 